You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinko. Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, which is almost the whole chapter. And now, you priests, this warning is wait is for you. If you do not listen, and if you don't, do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you... I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, I'm imagining when you read that, you weren't thinking, oh, Merry Christmas. This is a lovely, light reading for Christmas. So I'm going to start by praying. Lord, Christmas is good news. Jesus is good news. And we're here to celebrate him. As we dive into these words by Malachi, we pray that you would awaken our hearts 
to you and what you're wanting to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, I was living in Brisbane and my housemate uh, was in the Matildas team, so the Australian national soccer team. And for a few years, every morning, she would wake up I presume she was awake, because when I woke up, she was never there. She was at the Australian Institute of Sport. She was training for one to two hours each morning, one to two hours most afternoons. She'd come home after her other full-time job, cook exactly the right portion of meat, rice, and vegetables. She'd have an ice bath. She'd go to bed. She'd do it all again. She and I had nothing in common, just in case you're thinking that fitness rubs off on people. I can vouch it doesn't always rub off on people at all. I used to sit while I was watching TV thinking about her, going, how does she do it? It's just a hectic lifestyle. It's an unrelenting, fit, national-level elite sport lifestyle. Maybe I'll check out Catch to 5Ks one day. Yeah, you know, it doesn't rub off on me. It, it became a too hard. That's just too hard for me to live by. That's such an intense level of fitness. But I did think about her, and she was a, a very lovely, godly woman, And there were two things I really picked up on how she could live such a lifestyle. One of them was she really kept her eyes on the goal. She wanted to be in the World Cup, and that permeated every decision she made. There was pictures of it on our fridge. There was pictures of it in her room. She would talk about it a lot. Um, I learned a lot about the World Cup. She was just speaking and thinking all the time about the World Cup. That helped her when she knew her vision so clearly to then make, like, she realised every decision mattered. She didn't compromise. She didn't think, oh, I'll just skip one morning, I'm feeling tired. No, every morning, every decision, every time she put her shoes on, every time she got in that ice bath, every time she didn't remove the ice for me, every time, every time, <laughs> she was thinking, I want to be in the World Cup one day. And she realised her decisions mattered to cultivate that lifestyle to make room. It was actually quite phenomenal to see. Now, you might think, well, what's this got to do with the reading we just wrote or heard from, from the prophet Malachi? And I'd like to suggest that these people, the people of God, had lost sight of the goal of loving God and were compromising all over the place as a result of that. And they'd lost, as a result, an ability to love others. So that primary thing of loving God and loving others, they'd lost sight of that, and they were compromising everywhere. Now, spoiler alert, while we're about to get a bit deep and heavy, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus, that baby born in a manger, growing up, dying on the cross to take away the sin of the world, is the season we're living in today. We celebrate him as we remember how things were and the God that loves us. I was trying to think of a gospel link, and it falls short, but I came up with, the good news of Christmas is a little bit like Jesus doing the training at the Australian Institute of Sport, getting into the World Cup, paying the sacrifice, and saying, you're all on my team. You don't have to lift a finger. You've got all the benefits, and I want you to come with me. The only thing I ask of you is that you say yes, and you honour my name, and you walk with me. I realise it falls short, but to carry on with that sport analogy, I thought it could work, maybe. So God has made a covenant with us and them, the people back then, an eternal promise to love them. He asked them in return to give their best in all that they did. When faced with a choice, he said, you've got the choice to love me, to give your best to me, or to serve yourself. 
It's a choice that we still face today. The people back then, as us, it's too easy for the quicker solution and the, the depending on self solution where we, we fix things quickly rather than trusting on God or waiting for his ways. These people back then hadn't yet learnt to walk as people of God and enjoy his promises. Now, in this passage, he's focusing on the priests and the spouses. And so let's start with the priests. It's a bit heavy, but he says, if you do not listen to me, I'll summarise it, if you do not listen to me, no, wasn't going to work, I had a feeling. If you do not listen to me, if you do not honour my name, <laughs> I despise you, I humiliate you, I'll curse you, I'll curse your offspring, I'll curse the blessings you've received, I'll curse your descendants. You'll be despised and humiliated among the nations. It's quite an intense thing to say. In fact, he goes further and he says, because of you, I will, wait for it, smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. It's quite dramatic. So what's going on here? These priests were doing the externals, religion, love, well, they were, they were leading the sacrifices, they were preaching, they were leading, but inside their heart was far from God. And God was sick of it. He said, that to me, what you're doing, compromising on my covenant is a violation. And how I see that is a little bit like when you bring your money, I rip it up and throw it in your face. But it's even more exaggerated than that. When you bring your pigeons and your birds and your donkeys and your sacrifices, I put my hand in their poo and I smear it on your face. That's what it says. That's what our Bible says. That's how God feels about this double standard that the priests are leading. It's confronting. They'd got bored with religion and they were making decisions all over the place that were compromised. Now, as a newly ordained priest, I would like to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and I would like to think to myself, they probably didn't start off wanting to get the very worst sacrifice. Like They probably didn't think, I'm going to get the most blemished pigeon and give it to God. What I imagine, or how I'd like to think of it, is they thought, well, I know we're meant to have a perfect sacrifice, something that costs us something, but let's face it, the really good sacrifices are going to cost us a lot more. They've gone up in price, they're up the hill, everyone else is fine with this blemish pigeon, like everyone else is using it. It'll be fine for us. God loves us. God's for us. Remember the stories. It's fine. She'll be right, mate. The Aussie version. Problem is, God didn't see it like this. They were not giving God their best, and he was calling them to account. God warns these priests so severely because he knows that the impact for a violation of covenant to the promises he'd made to them, was going to impact the people that followed, was going to impact the nations that were watching on to know what God was like. He called them to speak truth and to honour and respect his name, to enjoy his promises and the life he'd given them and to teach the people well. They were given two choices, 
Love God, give him your best or serve yourself. And they were serving themselves. The good news about Christmas is that baby born in a manger grew up to become a man that died on the cross for us. And so what it looks like is the weight of our sin, the judgment and the shame, the bondage, the humiliation was put at the foot of Jesus and taken on the cross. So what that means is those that say, yes, Jesus, yes to you, forgive me, I want to live your ways and not my ways, they're forgiven, they're wiped clean, they're given a new slate. And what does he ask of them going forward? He said, would you love me and walk with me? Let's think of it as, would you give me your best? He's already done the work, but he asks us to respond in love, in relationship to what he's done. Living that out, I would suggest it can still look like two things. One is keeping our eyes on the goal. Conveniently, this statue is facing the cross, so I'm going to say the goal is looking at Jesus, yeah. The goal is keeping our eyes on him. Now, I found as we live that out, it's pretty hard to be focused, and God doesn't want us to live like looking at every bit of sin in our life and and bashing ourselves up about it. Instead, he says, keep your eyes on me. Create a space in your everyday life uh, that's time with Jesus. For some, that might be reading the word. For others, it might be worshipping him. For others, it might be going for a walk around the lake and going, God, let's say creek in this suburb, around the creek, and saying, God, what's on your heart today? Jesus, this is what's been going on in my life. I give it to you. What are you thinking about today? Let me read your word. Let me engage with you today. And like a fire, the coal in the middle of the fire is the hottest. When you take the coal out and you put it by itself, eventually it grows dim. And what I've seen in my own life is when you're close with Jesus, you lose your appetite for the other things. And we're still faced with those decisions every day, to love God or to serve self. But as we're walking close in that intimate relationship with Jesus, we lose appetite for the other things. He gives us the strength through his spirit to follow him and to make godly choices. What would it look like to give God your best in this season of Advent, waiting and Christmas? What's the best time of your day? Are you a morning person that jumps out of bed, um, eager for the day? Or are you an evening person, perhaps, and your, your energy is most, most there, your most creative ideas are before you go to bed? What would it look like to give God the best part of your day? What's the skills that you've been given? What are you just naturally good at, you know, effortlessly? What would it look like to give God those skills Jesus teaches us later, whatever we give, whatever we do for the least of those around us, we do for him. What would it look like to give those skills to the least of those around us, to people in our church, to people in our community, as a way of loving Jesus this Christmas? My housemate kept her eyes on the goal, World Cup. As followers of Jesus, we're called to keep close in our relationship with God, to prioritise him and being with him in the little decisions that we make. 
Each of those little decisions matter. And each time we choose a godly choice, whether it's in our private life or in our public life, God rewards us for that. It's not unnoticed. It's forming his character within us. And it's making space for more of him, his blessings, his love in our day to day. So that was the priests. And we can learn from those principles in how we follow God. The second rebuke is to the husbands, particularly, love your wives. I'm going to elaborate that, to love your spouses. It was one example back then of people loving each other not very well. You see, when the priests were giving a bad example and living a life of compromise, the people that were following the priests started lowering, like living a life of compromise as well. Oh, that's normal. Everyone in church, everyone in temple does that. Everyone at the festivals do that. But the consequence was it became hard to love others well because they weren't positioned to receive the love of God in their own life. He charges the spouses and he says, you're unfaithful to each other, you're unfaithful to your wives and husbands, you're divorcing them, you're marrying others who are worshipping other gods, remove them from the sanctuary, which means the, the holy place. Remove them from the holy places of God because their actions are desecrating the name of God. Now, anyone who's been through a divorce themselves in our group or or knows people who have, you would know it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking thing to go through. It's hurtful to the people involved. It's hurtful to families. It costs a lot. Jesus has compassion, and he talks about divorce, and he mentions these things in the New Testament. And in cases, it's, he, he says that's fine if you need to, but he brings us back to loving God and loving others. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time today much more on speaking on that because it's such a big topic. I'd like to do it well if I did rather than brushing it over it here. Yet Jesus uses marriage as an example of loving people around us. And he asks those, both in marriage, and I'll elaborate that to everyone, to love those around us, to give God your best so that you can give others love, love God and love your neighbours. And it's the same deal. You might think, so what does that look like? Well, number one, keep your eyes on the goal. What's the goal? Is the goal marriage? Is the God... Is the goal a comfortable life with lots of kids? Is the goal a good sex life? Is the goal a lot of finances? The goal remains Jesus. It's always been Jesus. As married people, you look on him together. As a family, you look on him together. As a single, we look on, I look on him. We look on him. It's the same call for each of us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because of the love we receive from him and the blessings we live out in relationship with him, that enables us to love each other well. The forgiveness we've received, we can give to others. The mercy we've received, we can offer others. The things where it seems impossible, God makes a way. Where there's two people who just can't find eye to eye and there doesn't even seem to be a middle ground. God's there with us in the impossible situations to help us walk forward keeping our eyes on him. The second part is every decision still matters in the daily choices that we make. Now, we all have different decisions, don't we? Like every single day, there's decisions about, well, what am I going to do with that? 
I, am I going to spend the night praying a little bit, like I said I would, or am I going to check out Instagram and some of these new blogs that have gone up? It's not that Instagram or Facebook or social media is sin. No, it's that when, when am I, how am I prioritising God in that? How am I choosing him? Or perhaps another example, ah, it's a little bit of juicy gossip. It's quite interesting. I wonder what Sarah thinks about that. We have that choice, don't we? Do we kind of suss out what the other person thinks about something we've heard? Or do we pray for what we've heard about? If we've been grieved by that, do we spread it and share it and, and you know, oh, did you hear? That's unbelievable. Or do we do what scripture teaches us? If you're grieved by it, go speak to them. Go talk to them. It's definitely the harder decision. It's awkward. But as ministers of peace and reconciliation, it's what we're called to do. It doesn't guarantee the best result, doesn't guarantee reconciliation afterwards, but it feels good. We've made a godly decision and God will work in and through that situation as a result. Each and every decision matters and God rewards us for that. Another translation in this passage says, husbands, keep your eyes on the wife of your youth. Now, that speaks a lot about a lot of things, but even that is a choice, right, for each of us. What do we keep our eyes on? Jesus said, if you look at another woman lustfully, it's the same as committing adultery with her. Single people, that's the same. If you're looking at a person lustfully, it's the same as sleeping with them. These standards are off the charts different from the world around us in how we live. And yet it's how Jesus is a call to holiness. It's the way that he lived and it's what he's wanting us to do in following him, recognising that Christmas is good news because Jesus has made a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to live like him. But it still comes down to choice by choice. What am I going to watch tonight? This TV show, do you know what? What I'm watching here... It's not going to be good. It's going to stick in my mind. I'm going to turn it off or I'm going to turn it down or I'm going to change channels. And even though it's a little decision that no one else might ever know about, God knows, God sees. And he, he rewards us for those decisions and it makes space for more of Jesus in our life. So like my housemate, ex-housemate, the elite athlete, keeping her eyes on her goal the World Cup, and making a thousand little decisions that went towards that. We too have the same thing, but honestly, it's so much easier in my, in my opinion because our, our main call is to love God, to draw near to him. And he enables us to make those decisions, to follow him. He rewards us and there's a joy in that. A kind of... um. Sense maybe there's a little bit of like heaviness in the room right now because we've covered some, some heavier topics there. And I wanted to do justice to the word of God in that. But I also want to, to, to finish by thinking back on Jesus. Like if you felt, huh, heavy, don't just dismiss that. I encourage you sit with the uncomfortableness just a little bit. And in the next song, pray a prayer that gives that to Jesus. It says, thank you, Lord. 
that I no longer need to sit with that. The good news of Christmas is that you've removed shame and guilt and condemnation. You've removed these things that block us. We give them to you and we receive in exchange your love, your peace, your joy, your new beginning, your second chance every single time. I'm going to pray and we'll finish there. Heavenly Father, when Jesus was born in a manger, angels and archangels rejoiced over that because they knew that you were giving humanity a new beginning. You were giving a chance to be restored to God, to receive your love, to be in relationship, creation and the created restored. And so, Father, we pray this Christmas that that news would be afresh in our heart and in the busyness of our to-do lists this December, God, that we could step aside and be with you in, in the ordinary everyday things, but we could draw near to you and know your love and be able to love others as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.